This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the AEC Engineering and Technology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping engineering professionals find technology that fits their needs. In this episode, I'll be talking with Anande Bergman, Chief Growth Officer and part of the founding team of Victor. He has a master's in aerospace engineering and more than 10 years of experience in automating workflows in structural engineering and manufacturing. In this episode, we'll be talking to him about workflow automation and design and the creation of Victor. We'll explore the importance of automating workflows, potential challenges, and Anande's vision for design automation. Anande, welcome. Thanks, uh, Nick, for uh, having me here and uh, hosting this uh, podcast. Great to have you on. How's everything going? Yeah, it's going well. We are super happy because today was like a special day for us. So from today, we released like a big feature. We have been working uh, since a long time on it. And it's like we've made possible for everyone in the world to create and share apps for free on Victor. So yeah, I'm quite happy about that. And I'm really looking forward to all the open source apps people will be creating and sharing with the world. This is a big opportunity for a lot of people out there, right? So why don't we start with a little bit more about your background and what you're doing on a day-to-day basis? I'm the chief grow officer at uh, Victor. I have a technical background, so I did a master on uh, aerospace engineering. I've been automating uh, all kinds of engineering workflows or design workflows for about 10 years. And we, like as a team, have been doing that also for a long time in in, like many different sectors. So just to give you an example, we do that in geotechnics and structural engineering, also big infrastructure projects, but also in in real estate or processing industry of manufacturing, offshore, maritime. So we've been doing many projects in in many uh, different industries and and different applications. So uh, yeah, it's just been great to see everything that's happening around the world. Which is really cool, right? Because you guys aren't just focused on one subset of one niche of engineering, right? Because it sounds like the tool you you came to talk about today and along with the concepts along the way, Victor, is really something that's versatile and can be used by a pretty wide spread of, of individuals, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We created the tool. So that's Victor. And it's nice to, to tell a bit of, of the story be, behind Victor to give us some context and yeah, we created Victor uh, like uh, six years ago, basically as like out of frustration we had in our own work, you know, so we were like a bunch of engineers. We all, all had our masters and we were working as, as consultants and doing all kinds of structural engineering uh, calculations. Yeah, at a certain point it was just boring, you know, the world was full of boring, repetitive tasks to be done. And we started automating those tasks with Excel sheets and Python and all kinds of tools. And then we had like also to production companies and we sell the same. So also we have a bridge building company and a flange building company. And there we see it again. So a lot of things to be automated. And at a certain point, we really realized that what was like our 
certain expertise was really automating stuff, was not running a production company and not doing like consultancy work. So we started offering that like as a service. And quite early in the process, we spent a lot of time to really think about, okay, what will be like the, the best solution to create like automation tools? And we got to the conclusion that the best thing we could do is really making web applications because you can share it easily with the world. So you just need to have to access internet access to see them. You can make them very user friendly. So we started doing that and we did that for like three years, mostly in the, with construction and engineering firms. And at a certain point, some clients approach us and say, Hey guys, look, we, we really like your tools. Uh, they're delivering a lot of value, but we want to make them ourselves. Is that possible? And that was really like a big shift. So that was like almost five years ago. And then, yeah, we basically created what is now known as Victor. And Victor is, is a platform wherein engineers like me, or maybe like you, that have some coding experience, but are not like on the level you will require to, to work on Google. So you have some Python experience, can make really professional web applications, and we provide them the tools to, to do this. And also to, to share those applications with their team and uh, with a bigger part of their uh, organization. And what you've stated there is, is really interesting because I'm sure if you ask any number of engineers, right, there's some amount of repetitive tasks or, or something that can be better automated, although they may not necessarily know the best ways to do so, right? And that's one of the, the big keys here at, at AEC Tech on this podcast is figuring out ways to make the highest and best use case of, of kind of the time of engineers, right? And I know you've got a, a little bit of a motto here, right? That when I heard really resounded with me because there's so many things that we do as engineers that can be automated or can be more efficient. But just to kind of frame the context of the episode before we get any further, could you just share with the audience kind of what your motto is in regards to like Victor and design automation? So the slogan of, of Victor, it's automate the boring, engineer the awesome. And we get a lot of good feedback about that. So people really feel it. So people that's there doing their job and having these automated things to do, they understand what we are about. What are kind of the unique features or aspects of Victor that are differentiating it from other automation design tools in the market? When I think like about all the tools that are available, I see that there has been a lot of advancement in creating new tools that help you automate like a part of your workflow of they automate it for you to set in some way. And those are mostly like in a niche or like in a specific domain. And when I look to Victor, we want to do the contrary. We want to enable engineers to automate the work they are doing. So we want to empower them and give them the tools to, to automate. And we want to do this as open and flexible as possible. So you can really use for example, integrate with other software platforms or integrate with finite element software, software with Revit or with all kinds of tools. And you can also use the whole Python ecosystem, which is really powerful. So for people that are into Python or are not into Python, so Python is the most popular uh, programming language in the world at the moment. And this like a huge ecosystem. So if you want to do something for your spatial information, you have tools for that made in Python. If you want to do something with uh, numerical calculus, there are tools for you. So there's a lot of stuff you can use. And we want to have an open system where everyone can use those tools and integrate their workflows. And I think that makes it really unique. On top of that, we have like a really strong focus on 
enabling people to make like really user-friendly tools. So tools people can use. So maybe if you're a civil engineer and you make a tool that even your colleague of the sales can use it, for example, and that you have a system of sharing those tools between your team and your organization, which is kind of a, let's call it a private app store where you will find all the, the apps your team has. And then you can say, okay, some people can see some apps, the other ones cannot see it. And you can see all kinds of statistics. So I think that's really unique that we provide you more a system and a box of digital building blocks, which you can assemble to basically automate the thing you are doing. You're really just making things accessible for, let's just say the general engineering population, right? Because is someone personally, right, who knows a little bit about Python, but as you alluded to earlier, right, like many of us are just not at the level where we're software developers. So it sounds like you're just taking kind of that engineering brain, that logical thought process, and then making it just a lot simpler to communicate with a computer to complete design automation tasks, right? Yeah, right. So we want to make it very accessible. And just to give you an example, two months ago, we had like, we organized a minor with a university here in, in the Netherlands. And those were students that didn't have a Python training yet. So they had like two weeks of basic uh, Python training. They had like four weeks to, to create like a project on Victor. And they all succeed making those apps. So I think that tells a lot about the level of programming skills you need to have to make your own apps. And that, that's the nice thing. You know, you don't need to be an expert. You, you can focus on the thing you really know, which is designing bridges of buildings of whatever you're doing. And you don't have to crush your brain thinking about all this like IT stuff around it. Which is great because, right, you, you as an engineer just want to focus on the engineering and kind of have those tools accessible to you, but let's take a step away from Victor for a second and just talk about the concept of design automation in general. It's like, what's your vision for design automation and why is it so important that you can automate these workflows? If I think about it, I think it's best to reflect about how we do stuff first, you know? So if I look at the typical engineering project, let's say we're making a bridge or a tunnel of anything. You have like teams that have like different responsibilities. So let's say structural engineering, you have your technical engineering, you have someone doing the drawings, planning, cost calculations. What we see is that those disciplines, they work together and they communicate on all kinds of ways, you know? So they are like islands communicating with each other. They're sending each other mails or calling each other. They're sending cell sheets or whatever. And to get like to a final design, they are iterating the whole time. So you send me like new specification of the budget got reduced and there we go again. You have to make like a new design and uh, update those designs and you report and a new drawing and you keep iterating until you get to the final solution. A big first step, it's like making that easier. So you, you see that a lot of people are using like parametric design or making stuff in Dynamo of Grasshopper of Python scripts or Excel sheets to make their own work like easier and they, that enables them to iterate quicker. But I think like there's a lot of gain to be made when you integrate those different disciplines. So in my ideal uh, scenario, I will think about like a central system which executes uh, those tasks automatically. So where all those calculations are like done automatically and where you as a group of experts can basically run different scenarios, analyze results, basically take decisions, you know, use your knowledge to take decisions and don't spend time running calculations. And I think that's like the, the ideal 
point where we want to get, where you have like a team maintaining those systems, taking decisions, making sure like that the same process gets improved, that the science gets improved, and they, they that they don't waste time making those calculations. And I think when you reach that point, you will have like tremendous benefits. So of course, like the most obvious is that it will be faster, but also you will have a lot of flexibility. So what's typically is that things change in time during projects and having like this automated system enables you to basically on the click of a button, get a new design. So last minute changes will not result in delays in your planning, for example, or maybe to a design that's not optimal because you have optimized the system, you know, so you will always get like a good result out of it. At the end, you will have more time free for getting better designs or running different scenarios and you will reduce risk and have better designs and, and safe materials at the end. So I think, yeah, that's the thing we, we should try to achieve yeah, from the engineering perspective. As the engineer, you're not just running calculations and just crunching numbers, right? You're making decisions. You're using your engineering judgment to kind of figure out how a project's going to go together. And I'm just thinking of an example, right? If you're a building designer, you need to be in constant contact with either your geotechnical engineer or whoever's designing the foundations, right? They need loads from your building. Well, if you can rapidly iterate through building designs based on some specifications from an architect, right? Maybe a couple of weeks of back and forth between a group of engineers can go down to, I don't know, maybe a couple of days, right? But that's just kind of scratching the surface because it sounds like there's a lot more possibilities than just that one specific example, right? Yeah, there's a lot to be done. There's a lot of potential. I can explain some cases, uh, maybe if we have some time uh, later. And I think maybe people will be asking, okay, good, nice to, to hear this like system you want to achieve, like this automated system, but how, you know? So that, that's the big question we often hear from clients. Uh, okay, that sounds good, but how can I approach this, you know? We've talked about design automation at a high level. Like, can you talk about specific examples in using design automation so that users can start getting into the details and like their specific use cases? The specifics will depend a lot on your case, of course. So automating foundations is totally different than automating like bridge. But we have been in many projects. And if you look from a distance, you see at least that they're, they're like roadmap. So there are some steps you, you have to take if you want your automation project to be like successful. And those are like seven steps. And I will mention them really quick. And then we can maybe talk a bit more about those steps. But basically, first step is, of course, digitalize. So if you're working on paper, then you will have a hard time automating anything. So that's the first step. The second step, which is like super important, is you have to standardize your process. And maybe you have a standardized process. So what we mean with a standardized process is that you basically follow the same steps to get to a solution. And that doesn't mean that your solutions will be always the same or that you will only offer like 10 different solutions and that's it, but that you follow the same steps to get to that solution. So for example, I take software A, I put those results in software B and then do some cost calculation with this Excel sheet. And okay, but sometimes I do this other. So finally, what you want to do is come together as a team and maybe make like a flowchart, you know, saying, okay, this is the way we work and this is the way we share information. 
and think about that and say, okay, will it be not handy to maybe do stuff different and have like an ideal workflow which you want to automate? So that's the first step, having like a standardized process and understanding the process very well. The second part is more you have like integration, you know, so you have this workflow, you have all these different parts that are communicating with each other. You want that information flow between those components. So between software A and B, for example, that you can do it in, in like an easy way. So you don't have to copy paste those results into the software, but you have like some script or something that helps you transfer the data between those points. And you want to have that for all parts of your system. The next part will really look into that and say, okay, that's great. I want to automate this. So you want to follow those steps automatically. So you can execute all parts of your workflow with a push of a button of running a script, of running a few scripts, but without like manual steps or having to send a mail or having to call a colleague. And then of course, you are able to generate this design very quickly, but that doesn't mean you have a good design, you know? So that's just the basis of it. The next time it's, next step is really optimization. And optimization is really finding the best solution you can. So it's running this workflow of this design system many times and really seeing what's the best solution, be able to like evaluate different scenarios to say, okay, this is the thing we really want, you know, optimize the design. The last two steps are less, are like a combination between like technical things and really people, you know? So I think like a big factor in automation is also people. It's not only technology. So I think step six, it's really distribution. And with distribution, I mean, having a system that helps you share those tools. Having a system, for example, what we see typically is that you have a drive, company drive, where you drop some Excel sheets. But that's not a really good distribution system because people can basically just copy paste those Excel sheets and take them home. So your IP is not protected. Or for example, you can make an Excel sheet I can change it and there's no way to make sure you are using the last version of the Excel sheet. So having a good distribution system, it's super important. So think about that. And the last step is really thinking about the bigger impact you can have in a team. So it's great you have created tools in Python, Dynamo, Grasshopper, or, or Excel sheets. If you are the only one that's able to use them, then your impact is limited. So Step seven will be really democratization. So how you will make tools that other people can use that maybe don't have the same technical skills. And the answer for that is most times have a nice user interface that people can use and make sure that those people can use those tools between like safe boundaries. So I think that's like, like the roadmap and yeah, the specifics of your case, that's something you, you need to discuss as a team, you know? So that's the part where you say, okay, this is my workflow. How can I improve my workflow? What's like the big dream? And there you go and follow this roadmap. The last thing I would like to say about it is that it sounds really big. Sounds like a, a huge work, but it doesn't have to be. So I will say, think big, try to have like a goal. So this is what we're gonna achieve in one of two or three years. But please start very small. Start with one little thing, try to go through this whole process and try to involve the end user in this. So if you want other people to use these tools, involve them very early in the process because that will make them feel part of the process. So it's not your tool that they have to use because you say, it's 
a tool you're maker for them. That is also like a very good way to see if your tools are really providing value and where you should change stuff. So this whole roadmap, it's really like an iterative process and you can do it in small steps and start building slowly until getting to the point you want to get. Which is fantastic because you've essentially laid out this roadmap, right? It's not specific to any one use case or one any one subset or niche of engineering, but it sounds like you've thought a lot about this in the context of how do we make this product, right? Victor or design automation accessible to the masses without constraining someone down to, well, if it's a geotechnical workflow, we're doing this. If it's a structural workflow, we're doing this. You're really giving power to the users is, is what it sounds like. If people like to, to know more about this, we wrote a, a white paper and a blog talking about this roadmap, about like really working collaborative parametric design and how you can approach it and what the impact is. So if it's fine with you, Nick, we can add those links in the podcast so people can read more about this if they're interested. We'll include any links to materials, papers, books, et cetera, right? In this case, the white paper in, in the show notes. So you all will have access to that. One question I have, right, and this is going to kind of roll into our next question, is going to be challenges in automating workflows. So one piece of automation that I always find really interesting is edge cases, right? Edge cases or human involvement. So my question about design automation and Victor is how do you guys handle edge cases? But more broadly, users are going to run into challenges with design automation software, right? We see it all the time. How are you guys handling these types of challenges that users run into? That's one of the challenges. You always have to be like honest with yourself and think, how far do I want to go with automation? So I will never say automate everything because at a certain point, your investment will be not worth. So if you are trying to cover all cases, you will have to spend a lot of money creating the system. And you will probably never get it back because you will include a lot of like edge cases <laughs> into your system. So I think like the original thing to do, it's creating tools that maybe solve 95% of the things you do and make those tools in such a way that those edge cases can also be handled. So for example, you could think about making like a parametric configurator of a building which follows a certain sign style you have as a company of a sales and design system. And you can use that. And maybe at a certain point, you can say, okay, I will not go further in my automation development. I will just download this model and do it like the old way and change this model manually for those edge cases or for those little pieces that are not fitting into the automation model. So I think that that's really the key to handle this in a proper way, having a system that works almost always and giving people the flexibility to handle those edge cases manually to say somehow, but at least 90% of the work it's, it's done for you. So you will be much quicker. Which is really Pareto or fractal in nature, right? Because the 80-20 principle is often referred to here at the Engineering Management Institute is you can perhaps spend 20% of the effort automating 80% of the work, right? But that last 20% of edge cases or parts where just automating the human involvement away is really challenging and really time consuming. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense. It, that's what I'm kind of getting from what you're saying. Yeah, and, and it doesn't make sense, but it's also a big risk, you know, because what I see sometimes is that people try to make tools that cover like all cases and they spend like months and months and months and months creating this tool and it, becomes a huge monster 
And at the end, yeah, of they cancel the project. So it's, yeah, because it's taking too long, of they don't see the value of it's really error prompt because there are so many variables in the system. So I will really, yeah, encourage people to, to really start small and work on something that you see very often, you know, so this 80%. So if, if something is are really able to automate 80% of what you do, go for it. You don't need to automate 100%. It's just here to help you, to do your help. It's not to, to replace you. Tools will never replace you. Kind of one of the, the fears rightfully founded is that these, you know, automation tools are here to replace us as engineers, right? But the way I've always seen it, and I'd like to know what you think about this is if without a, a very capable engineer in the driver's seat, a lot of these automation tools just aren't useful because there's so much nuance and human involvement outside of just running the numbers, right? That is required to make projects successful. And without competent engineering, really all of this falls apart. I totally agree. So I think those tools are here to help you, to free you from, yeah, as I said, the boring stuff. So, so you can make better designs, but you are the expert. You know, you have the knowledge. You know how things are built, how things develop in the field. You are the one talking with the client and making decisions. So this is just a tool to help you make those decisions and to help the client in a better way, for sure. And speaking of, right, those specific examples of either interacting with the client or, you know, getting in the field, right, and understanding how things are built. Why don't we talk about some real world scenarios about how Victor has been used? And if you have any that come to mind, but I'm curious myself, right? So can you share some good examples that you've seen either from yourself, your colleagues or customers in the past? We have quite a lot of examples, but if I put them like in buckets to say somehow, you will have like the mega projects. So the big like infrastructure projects, you have like maybe the tools you make because let's say a colleague it's depending on you and he is bugging you each day because you have to make this calculation so he can make an offer and then you end up making these tools so this colleague can do it themselves and you have like maybe a third category and those are like people or businesses searching for new business opportunities so for example you are a consultant or a freelancer people basically pay you to do some calculations and the thing you deliver is mostly a design, a report, but you can also make a business model of it. And you can make, for example, an app and ask people yeah, a fee for accessing that app. And that's much more scalable than you doing this reports uh, each time. So those three cases, I have some examples. For example, if you think about the mega projects, we're working on automating the design of the, the world's uh, longest submerged uh, tunnel which will connect Denmark with, with Germany. Yeah, and that's such an interesting case because basically there's so much to be optimized and so much data flowing in that case that they need these automation tools. It's not possible to do it anymore without automation tools. So what you will see is that this tunnel, it's like 18 kilometer long and it's made of 90 sections. And those sections are like 210 or something, 220 meters long, which is at least higher than the highest building we have here in the Netherlands. And each of those sections have kind of the same cross-section because, of course, you have the lanes and the tunnels and everything, but they are located on different portions. So they have like different soil properties at different depths. So you will have a different external pressure on the tunnel. So basically, if you don't have this automation tool, what you will see is that people will do something very classical engineering that is taking the worst case. 
calculating for that or calculating two worst cases and basically making a whole tunnel based on that, that that will be so expensive, so, so expensive. So they have created this tool that automates the, the structural engineering of the tunnel. And yeah, they're really analyzing each section, each, I think, two meters. They make a different section and they, they analyze the, the whole tunnel and they're really getting like the most of their engineering knowledge to save like tons of steel and concrete and saving like tons of CO2 and movements of trucks and cranes. And it's like the impact you have, it's like huge. And one of the challenges that they have, of course, is because they have that many sections and they have like 200 load combinations for every section, the amount of data that's flowing through such a design is it's enormous. And the chance of making like a mistake because people use a wrong version of the data, it's growing with the amount of data, of course. So they also need this centralized system where all colleagues can, can access. So they, they call it like a single point of truth, you know, so you can access this app and all the information regarding the latest design of previous designs it's stored in that app. So all colleagues are working there and pulling data for doing other stuff. So that's a super good example. And we have a few of those. We have like for tunnels and dikes and highways, uh, people are creating like this specific tool for this project and their return of investment is really in that project itself. So they make this tool and they include budget during tendering of those projects to really make automation tools. It's a great idea. Everyone should be doing this. It's a great example because, you know, if you think about go back before we had computers and structural analysis software and everything had to be done by hand, right? There's just obviously time constraints. And I think that's just kind of part of classical engineering, like you mentioned, where you're taking the worst case scenario and applying it globally, just because you realistically don't have the fear, the time to run every single case, like pretty much down to sharpening your pencil, right? But now with technology and how it's progressed, right? You as the engineer, you're, it's almost like you're managing a team of individuals doing the calculations for you. It's just that it happens to be software that's doing it for you. And now you can multiply your efforts so much more. And there's, like you said, right? Because you're just one person in an office running design calculations. But think about how many, you know, hundreds of people's jobs that affects, right? Material, time, scope, and all of this costs ultimately to an owner. It's really amazing what we're able to do now that we just weren't able to do in the past. Yeah, so the, the impact is huge. And of course, you can imagine a lot of people are thinking, okay, but I'm not calculating the longest submerged tunnel in the world because uh, there's a reason why we call it the longest. So not everyone is doing this. But you can also have impact in, in like your daily operations. So, for example, we have a client that made an app, and what they do as a as a core business is installing uh, their foundations contractor, but with an engineering office too. So they do basically the whole calculation. Clients come to them and they say, okay, this is like a preliminary pile plan. So, well, in the Netherlands, almost everything is on piles because the soil is super bad. So it's you need to have piles. And they come with this preliminary design and they have so much expertise and different piling systems that they can help the client to make a, a better design. But they didn't have the time to do this because, of course, when a client comes to you and says, hey, I want to do this project, it's just a quotation. So that basically you're not able to, to spend too much time in this. So that was the reason for them to start going into automation. So they start creating tools that enable them to create an optimized pile plan 
and they done that. So they, they automate the whole system. And now when a client comes, they are able to say, okay, we have a better solution that it's also stronger, but also cheaper and faster to place. So that alone is a reason for clients to go to them because they know they will come with something better and cheaper than you were counting with. It's a really great case because they really took it to the next level. So for those that are into foundations, and they will know that the cost of a product, it's basically defined by two things. One is how much piles you need and how big they are. So basically material. And the other one is how fast can you stamp those piles in the ground? You know, so we have these big machines stamping those piles in the in the ground and they're, they're quite expensive to have and to operate. So those are like the, the two factors that determine the, the cost. So and the first one, like uh, how much piles you need, that is something like engineers can calculate properly. So there are like, that's something that's known how we do that. But seeing how, of knowing how fast you will be able to put those piles on the ground, there are no models for that. There's no software for that that's able to help you with that. And what they did was supply uh, the machines with sensors. So they were able to measure the force and the speed on how fast they go. And with that data, uh, they made like a machine learning model. And with that, they are able to predict how fast uh, based on the soil properties. So they make this CPT, the, the concatenation test. They know which kind of soil they have in a project. And based on that and previous project data, they know I will also to have a quite accurate indication of how much time it will cost. So now they have the two factors, materials and time. And this gives them like a huge advantages in comparison with other companies that are doing like something similar. So the service they provide, it's amazing in comparison with other and just think about how that translates to dollars, right? And you had mentioned earlier about maybe an engineer develops an application that their sales team can use. This is great because imagine your salesperson collects some preliminary information as they're building a proposal for a client. And instead of passing that to their engineer and their engineer getting back to them in a week, they sit down together for you know a meeting and there's some initial input, maybe the sales team does, and then the engineer is there to just verify the output to make sure it's realistic, right? But all of that's only possible because of, as you mentioned, design automation, the sensors, right? The machine learning model that basically it gave you another person to do that work, but it's really just a computer doing it in the background. And they're not constrained necessarily by time or other demands, right? And that allows your, your engineering team to kind of free up and do other things. What fascinates me the most of all this project is most times there's no new process of new knowledge that's developed. So it's the thing you're always doing, but it's really getting the max of it. You're really unlocking the potential you have as an engineer to make really good use of it and not be bound the constraints in time of that kind of stuff, you know? So that's the nice thing It's that you don't need to change anything. You just need to make this tool and use your knowledge in the best way. And you do it once, right? You may need to refine it, but you're going to see a huge kind of return on your investment. But we've kind of talked about what has gone on with Victor, right? What has gone on with design automation to this point from your guys' point of view. What are you excited about in the future regarding whether it's design automation or Victor or kind of just the, the industry in general? Like, what are you keeping an eye on and looking out for? So personally, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I'm super excited about that we made it possible for everyone in the world to create automation tools and, and deploy them. So put them online and share them for free. So I'm really looking forward to, I think, a new movement 
that it's like on the beginning of this big movement of people that will be creating apps and will be sharing knowledge in that way with each other. And I think also like cooperation. So I see that engineering is opening to more cooperation. So for example, here in the Netherlands, uh, just like a consortium, because between the eight biggest contractors, which are competitors basically of each other, and they decided that they will make digital tools together because yeah, it is cheaper and you will get better tools than making this alone. And yeah, that this is happening is for me fascinating, you know, that we're opening to, to share this knowledge and to really think, okay, if we really want to advance as a society, we need to share, we need to do something together. And there's enough to do for the world. You know, there are enough projects to do, there are enough things to do. We will not have trouble with it. We will move forward all of us together. So that's fascinating. And from the technology side, of course, yeah, IE and uh, in engineering, I think that there's a huge potential there that we're not really maxing out yet. So there are that many possibilities for artificial intelligence on construction we, we can still make use of. And yeah, the foundations was one of the examples, but there are many more. And we say it a lot on the show, right? Where the amount of work that is available in the market far exceeds what any one company is able to take on, right? Firms have huge backlogs. It's the number of qualified engineers isn't exactly skyrocketing, right? Especially in like this traditional civil mechanical industry. So there needs to be a better way to do things. And that common theme, right, is is one that we try to share here is we need to get better, right, as an industry, as a profession. And all these types of tools and technology that we bring to the audience is, is just one way to do that. But Anande, it's been great having you on the show. Where can our audience find out more about you, like maybe social or a website, if they want to learn more about what you're up to and how they can use design automation tools like Victor? So if you want to reach me personally, you can do it through LinkedIn. And I think the easiest is just to drop a link uh, somewhere in the description. If you want to learn more about Victor and what we're doing, we have a website that's Victor with a K of kilo.ae. And there we have like also, we explain what the product is, but also we have a lot of customer cases and, and blogs where you can see how you can apply it to your specific case. So if you're with a lot of cases in different industries, so there you can take a look. Yeah, I think people interesting into that, I, I can leave maybe some good pieces to read. So I will leave uh, the link to this blog about uh, the roadmap and what you can do about it and about a white paper on, on parametric design, that what's like the future of parametric design. And we, we can leave those uh, links there. And then, yeah, if you're interested into that, you can read that and you will have like nice insights into what's happening. Excellent. Well, again, hey, it has been great having you on the show and at the end of every episode, we make the offer, right? We're here to help at EMI. Our guests are here to help you guys. So please, please, please reach out if you have any questions about Victor, design automation, or maybe there was something else this episode sparked. We are definitely here to help you. But Nande, again, great having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. And uh, thanks for hosting the podcast again. It's, it's super nice that you, you take the time to share like knowledge with the world. That's something I, I appreciate a lot as a person. Please remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at aectechpodcast.com. There, you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. Until next time, I wish you all the best in all of your engineering and technology endeavors.